Welcome to Mission View. My name is Matt. If you're the, uh, new to Mission View, I'm just welcome you this morning. A little thrown off. Somebody left me a nice little picture of our drummer Nick here. So cute. Good-looking guy. Single. Ladies, just letting you know. Uh, he deserved that after leaving that picture there. No, it's, uh, no, it's great. We're in the second week of Advent, right? So um, Advent is that time of year where we take uh, some time just to ready our hearts to celebrate Christ's coming. And um, I love this time of year, uh, just, to, uh, just the reflection piece of it, uh, the change of seasons. I don't know if you got my letter I sent out this past week, but just that change of season and, and kind of the, the picture that that makes of of the seasons in our lives and how God changes us and grows. I love the fall, the change, then the snow that comes. Just, just, I think it's a beautiful picture, but just a time to remember that Jesus left heaven, put on flesh, and was God with us, is God with us because of that. And today, last week we talked about Mary and, and some of the sacrifices she had to make um, with the birth of Christ. And one of the big takeaways for me as we looked over that in the text we studied was that Mary had to give everything. That it wasn't 99.9%, it wasn't 50%, it wasn't a give and take. It was she had to give everything to follow, to follow the Lord. And, and I mean, well, she gave birth to Jesus. I mean, what, what an amazing thing. But God calls us to give everything too. That's one of the big things that we talked about, that it's Christianity, this journey that we're on, this relationship with our creator we're in, is not a halfway thing. You can't go about it 50% it's, or 99.9%. It's 100%. God calls us to give everything. And um, I hope that as uh, this past week you met in community groups or you reflected on that, that the Holy Spirit really moved in your heart and called you to give those things up that maybe you're holding on to. Because I think there's, we all have things that we try to hold on to, you know, things that we try to control that are way out of our control, things that we're not ready to, or we feel like we're not ready to hand over to God yet. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart as he is mine and handing those things over to him. You know, one of those things for me, I'll just be honest with you, it, it, we're, we are in church. I know it's the high school auditorium, but this is church because we are the church. The people are the church. One of the things that I've been, you know, trying to give over to the Lord is that new building we've been working on. Man, I tell you what, there is so much to do. And I, every day, our church offices are across the street from the new building. Every day, I walk over in the mornings and I walk through the building to see how the guys are doing and see if we're staying on time, to see if they're really doing what they're supposed to be doing that day, as if I knew. <laughs> right? As if I'm like a foreman on the job or whatever. One, it's really exciting. I love to see the, the progress of the walls that are gone up. The uh, auditorium is completely drywalled. They're getting ready to paint it. It's, uh, you know, I look at it and see it. And it's just amazing to me as the progress goes on. But, but there's this little part of me that is like worried about, you know, the timeline and the finances and all this different, all this stuff that has to come together, you know, that all these materials have to come in on time and all these workers have to be available. And I don't know, but I didn't know this, but every construction worker goes deer hunting last week. I, I didn't know that. You know, so I walk into the building, and it's just me. And I'm like, what's happening? And I talk to the foreman. He goes, yeah, they all called in. They're all deer hunting. You know, I didn't know that happened, you know? And I'm like, is that going to stay in? Are we going to stay on track, you know, and all this stuff? And I have a, a, a tendency to, you know, I, I could have a tendency to freak out. You know, if I, yeah, a, a real freak out, right? 
If I didn't trust the Lord, if I, I was, didn't remind myself that this is God's building, this is God's plan, that God's led us here, and he's going to do what he wants to do in his timing. And it's not my timing, it's not your timing, it's not the construction guy's timing, it is God's timing. And, and I just have to release that, relinquish that to him every day, that we just trust God in that. Now, I'm, just to let you know, I'm real excited about the new building. It's coming along just, I mean, better than we could ever plan. You know, and that's kind of how God works, right? Like, we put our plans together, and He just blows them out of the water. So um, we're really excited about that. And we're going to have some updates coming along just to fill you guys in and, and uh, let you know how those things are. We're still looking at March 1st to get in the keys to the building and moving in. I was counting the weeks. I think we're like 12 weeks out from that. 12 more Sundays here at the high school after eight years. Pretty amazing, huh? So anyways, that's going to be an exciting time. Today, as we uh, continue our Advent series, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, we're going to look at Joseph and what, what kind of things happen in Joseph's life. Actually, some prophecies that are fulfilled uh, because of Joseph. God used Joseph in these prophecies. I love, I don't know if you've picked up on it on my preaching or not, but I love the prophetic parts of the Bible. I think it's one of those, those markings that let the world know that, that this book that we believe in isn't like any other book, that it actually tells the future, that there's this supernatural thing about the Bible that, it's, that men's hands may have penned it, but God used them and spoke through them and breathed it onto the page, as it says in Timothy. And so we're, we, I love that, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today too. But um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew today, chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25, I'll give you a second to turn there. Let me pray as you're turning there. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have set aside to come and focus our hearts and minds on you, that we would worship you this morning. We humbly come opening your word, uh, believing and expecting that your Holy Spirit will bring the truth of your word and make it take deep root in our hearts and our lives, changing us, growing us, making us the people that you've called us to be. Father, we trust in you for those things. We pray that you would do that and that we would walk out of here different than we walked in because we have met with you. Father, I pray that you would use me this morning. I lay all of my studies at your feet. I pray that you would give me the words to share for your glory and your kingdom and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 1, starting verse 18, says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. That's a really important statement we're going to look into. So you might want to underline that or highlight that. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
God's word for us today. The first thing I want to point out, I've already mentioned it, is this. And it's the first fill in your notes. Jesus' birth fulfilled prophecies. Lots and lots of prophecies. We're talking lots and lots of prophecies. But we're going to look at two of them. Two prophecies I want to look at today were fulfilled at Jesus' birth. The first one is that line that I had you underline there. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David. Now, why is this statement so important? To figure that out, we have to kind of go back hundreds and hundreds of years and look in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 and 13, where Nathan the prophet is speaking to David. David, the one the angel's talking about, Joseph, son of David. He says this, the prophet says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Not for his generation, Not for a couple generations after him. This is a kingdom that will never go away. An eternal kingdom. This is a prophecy about Christ's kingdom. God's kingdom. Now, the promise that David and his seed would be kings fulfilled the even more ancient Abrahamic covenant blessing that the eight patriarchs would be the fathers of the kings. To Judah, great-grandson of Abraham, was given the explicit pledge that a promised ruler would come from Judah. Now Samuel anointed this one from Judah, and that was David, who the Lord said, He is the one. David was aware of his election by God and of the theological significance of that election as part of the messianic line that would result, get this, would result in divine descendant and king, Jesus Christ. David knew it. It was a part of the Abrahamic covenant or promise that God had made to Abraham and his people. This is something that God had planned since before time existed. This is amazing prophetic implications here. The prophets also attested to the Davidic Messiah, the one who would rule over all and forever on his throne. This line of David, God's chosen people, God's chosen people, he set aside a people for himself that this would be the bloodline. God in his power would supernaturally protect this bloodline that Jesus would come through. This is amazing stuff, and this is all prophesied. Let me give you some references you can look up this week. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Jeremiah 30, 4 through 11, verses 4 through 11 in chapter 30 of Jeremiah. Ezekiel 34, verses 23 through 24. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 25. Amos 9, 11 through 15. I'll stop there because I could just keep on going about all these prophecies and amazing things that God did. So this, this statement that Joseph hears from this, this angel in this dream, this Joseph son of David, was of utmost importance. Joseph, hearing these words, would have been moved. I mean, he would have been shocked. He was probably shaking in his boots or sandals, I guess. He would have been shaken to his core. This, he was realizing in this moment, in this dream, 
that God had chosen him to bring the Messiah into the world. He was going to be the earthly father of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was going to be his earthly father. And he knew this. He, come, he, he would have recognized this, and it really would have taken root in him only because he knew God's word. He knew the prophecies. He had to be so caught up and so understanding of God's word. Joseph didn't wake up from the dream saying, oh man, that pizza last night's got me all jacked up. No, he, that's not what he said. He goes to a pregnant woman who's supposed to be faithful to him, who's supposed to have waited on him, and takes her as his wife. You don't just go and do that, especially in that culture and in that time. The shame that would have brought forth. Here's how real this was. This is how sinful that was and how it was in the culture. If, if Joseph wanted to, he could have went to the city gates and just declared that Mary had cheated on him and she would have been stoned to death. Not nowadays. Nowadays you get your own reality TV show. Teen Moms, right? No. Not back then. Back then you were taken to the city gates and stoned to death. That's how serious this was. So when Joseph has this dream, the angel says, Joseph, son of David. He's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait a second. You're calling out my great, 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 that's how you go from stoning someone to taking them as your wife because the creator God invades your space. But man, for, for Joseph to know what, what just happened, he had to be, I mean, he had to know, to know and really know God's word. It wasn't just something he heard as a kid it wasn't just some passing idea. It wasn't this, oh, I like the Bible. No, he studied. He was steeped in God's word. Do we have any tea drinkers here today to be like tea? My mom loves tea. So I grew up, you know, with tea around the house. And I didn't really get an appreciation for tea until I got a little bit older. But my mom, when, she, when I started talking to her about tea, she was, Matt, you have to steep your tea. Anybody know what steeping your tea is? It's the weirdest thing, right? Well, you put your tea bag in there, and you, you get some hot water. You don't boil the water. Not boiling water. You get hot water, about 180 degrees. You pour the hot water in your cup with the tea bag, and then you put a, a, a cover over top of it, and you let it steep. Basically mean let it sit covered. And, it, and the, the water takes on all the flavor and the color and the fragrance, the smell of the, the tea leaves that are in there. And, and after about uh, two minutes or, or five minutes, depending on how strong you like your tea, you take the top off of it, you take the tea bag out of it, and then you have a correctly prepared tea. You see, the water by itself is just this bland, boring, hot Water. Who likes bland, boring, hot water? But tea, that, that water that's been steeped in tea leaves takes on the color and the smell and the flavor and this just amazing aroma of, of the tea that you're, you're making. That's how we have to be in God's word. 
We have to be steeped in God's word that we read it and memorize it and study it. And it, it's life to us. And as, as we read it and study and are steeped in it, we been, begin to take on the color and the smell and the look and the flavor of, of who God is and what he has for us. Joseph got it. When, when things come into your life and you, and you go through these things in your life, you have to be steeped in God's word or it's not going to make any sense. You're not going to be able to walk through it. You're going to need more of him. We really have to go to his word. Meditating on it. Letting it just seep into our hearts and take root. And we're not just checking some box off of a list. Oh, I got to get this out of the way. You know, I've got a list of things to do today. And number three on that list, that three checkbox, you know, I got to read a chapter a day, keeps the devil away. <laughs> right? No, that's not, that's not relationship with Jesus. No, we go to God's word because we love him. And he loves us. And I just can't stay away from him. I just want desperately more of who he is. And I come to know him through his word. And I love that we're going through the book of Mark now as a church. I know we've taken a break here in Advent. But we're going to start it up again in, in January. And, and just the life of Christ. The person of Jesus. Who he was. How he interacted with us. And what he did. Knowing him more. We have to be steeped in the truth of God's word if we're going to walk the walk. Stand the test of time and be used by God to reach the 200,000 that he's called us to reach. That's what God has called us to. Now another prophecy we find, it's actually in Isaiah and it's quoted right in our text. The Isaiah text is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin shall conceive. That is a crazy statement. Anybody catch that? That's a big one. Now here at Mission View, you hear me talk about spine issues and rib issues all the time. The spine issues are issues we talk about with a closed hand. They're not debatable. They are truths from God's word that we will never let go of. And rib issues are things in God's word that we work through, but there's mystery in them. There's a holy tension about them that, you know, it's not going to determine whether, whether we go to heaven or not. But there's things that we work through theologically and, and we can talk and from different viewpoints on those things. So you have spine issues and rib issues. This one right here, the virgin birth, is a spine issue. There is no debating this. God was born. His name is Jesus. He was born of the virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. We do not debate this. This is the truth of God's word. This is proof that Jesus is God. Now, that's really, really good news because if he is God and he is, then he has the power to do what he says he will do. And he has the power to live out the perfect life that you and I cannot live out. And he has the power to go to the cross for me and you. And he has the power to rise from the grave three days later, defeating death and defeating sin for me and you. 
No man can do that. Only God can do that. So the virgin birth is pretty important. That Jesus is God. And we're not going to debate that. We're not going to debate the virgin birth. Now the, the cool thing is, it's God was the God, Jesus was the God man. He was man too. And that means that when he was walking that perfect life, he had real human struggles. He had grief. He had some of his closest friends and disciples abandon him, betray him. He wept when Lazarus, Lazarus died. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, he experienced that grief. So not only Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, was God, is God, he's man too. So of all that power and all that victory, we go to him today knowing he understands our suffering. He understands our grief. And he has compassion on you and me. Isn't that good to know? That's Jesus. So, so many, there's so many prophecies that, that were fulfilled in the birth of Christ. But I thought those were two we could just really worship him with this morning. So the virgin birth. Now, Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, he was the first and the last. Jesus was God in the flesh. He put on humanity in the greatest act of humility anyone will ever see. The greatest act that God would put on flesh and become a man. The greatest act of humility was meant to be an example for me and you to follow. And that's the, the second point in our sermon today. Second feeling is this, that Jesus' birth was the greatest act of humility. We have a great, great explanation for this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. They say this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, this act of humility reveals the heart of God for me and you. God loved us enough to step into our mess. He came to a world of brokenness, he stepped into our shame. He came to make a way for me and you to be in right relationship with our Creator. It says right there in Philippians that He emptied Himself. He, the Creator of the universe, the Creator of all things, the sustainer of all life, took on the form of a servant. We have a hard time serving our spouses half the time. We roll our eyes and, and complain about helping out around the house or helping out a coworker or helping out our neighbor. We struggle with serving our kids. We think being Christ-like is, is living out some, some super standard of righteousness and perfection and, and we work towards that. Now, don't get me wrong. It is. 
we do want to, you know, live out righteousness as the Holy Spirit changes and grows. But we think that's like the pinnacle of everything else. But the pinnacle of Christianity, what we see in the life of Christ, the pinnacle of Christianity is humility. That Christ would put the very first act Christ did as example for me and you was to humble himself and put on flesh. This world we live in is all about self-promotion, self-aggrandizement. We are trained to work towards power, wealth, and reputation. We live in a world obsessed with the self. Self-esteem, self-worth, self-help, self-realization, me, myself, and I. And it's exactly the opposite of what Christ modeled for you and me in the incarnation. We need more of God and less of self. Jesus led a movement that changed the world by being a leader that served. So many leadership books talk about power, command, and manipulation. But Jesus washed feet, touched lepers, and called tax collectors friend. He went to the lowest of the low and told them they were valuable. As a small child, he went to the most brilliant minds of the time and taught them real truth. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead. But the greatest miracle he did, he still does today. He offers eternal life to anyone who would turn to him and submit to him, give their life to him, surrender their will to his will. He is looking for people who have tried it their own way and have ended up empty and wanting and desperate for something. And he's saying he is the one. The greatest miracle Jesus ever performed, he is offering to you right now. He says, come to me, all who are weak, all who are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. I am the one you need. You don't need money. You don't need power. You don't need fame. You don't need any of the things that the world is offering you. The only thing you need is me. Joseph, son of David, I'm sending my son, the Messiah, who will be the hope to the nations. Man, now that's something. Everything we long for, everything we were created for, you, you talk purpose, you talk destiny. You have to look to Jesus. This, the greatest act of humility, happened because God came to be with us. God with us. Emmanuel. We, we get that word at Christmas time, right? And it's a big old church word, big old Bible word. Emmanuel, it means God with us. And that is a huge statement. So that's why I made it the third point in our message today. Emmanuel, God with us. In verse 23 of our text today in Matthew 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That is what Joseph understood and fully believed, and that is what we celebrate on Christmas. Jesus came, and God is with us. 
This is not just God with us for 33 years, the 33 years that Jesus lived and walked the earth, but it is God with us right now. Did you know God is with you right now? Jesus' coming was just the beginning of this new promise, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said when he left this earth, it was better that he leave. Let that statement just sink in for a second. Every time I hear it, every time I think about it, when I think that Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, it's better that I leave now. What, what, what were they thinking, right? They're like, no, no, you don't understand, Jesus. We have all these plans. You just rose from the dead. It's about to just, we're going to go do this together. You're our guy. You've proven it. You're God in the flesh. You can't leave now. I mean, that's how I would have been. I'm sure they were like, yes, Lord, that's great. Go ahead and ascend into the clouds. I don't know, maybe. No, I think they're probably just like, no. Nobody says, it's in, actually in John 16, 7, it says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's a capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit God, one of the Trinity, is with us. See, see, Emmanuel, God with us, isn't just Jesus walking the earth for 33 years. It's Jesus walking the earth for 33 years, ascending into heaven and sending his spirit to live in me and you even now. So Emmanuel isn't just the incarnation. Emmanuel is right now, me and you, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is God and God is good and he loves you and he wants to be active in your life and he sees all the small things and he sees all the big things and he just, he just walks with you through it and that is one of the greatest things we could ever have. That's the best news you could ever have this Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. The work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm getting a little excited, aren't I? We talked about this, Joe, when I mean, we were in our pastor's meeting. I, I start to talk really fast. I start to talk really fast. Let me slow it down here a little bit. This is really good, because there is a specific work that God the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. Now, it's, just not, it's not just one work, it's many works. So listen to this and be encouraged by this, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have this conviction of sin when we break God's laws. Now, this is cool because you, you hear conviction of sin, you're like, ugh, ah, ooh, ah, no, nah, uh, I don't like that part of the Jesus stuff. No, you do, trust me, because it's not condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ, but we do have a sweet conviction that goes like this. Condemnation would cause us to run from God. Conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit causes us to run to God. It is a revelation that, man, I just need more of Jesus. He's good, he loves me, and I'm trying as best I can, but I am blowing it. And I see that I'm blowing it now, and now I need to change and go this way. Man, I just need more of Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more. I'm going to make sure I don't miss church on Sunday morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join a community group. I'm going I'm to start serving in the church. That's conviction. That's the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us into Christ. It draws us closer to Him. It shows us the possibilities. 
Conviction of the Holy Spirit shows you the possibilities of what God has for you. It's a revelation of his promise and his goodness and his love. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God's word. Did you know when we open God's word, we are fully, I'm talking 100% dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to this book. Like, if we open this without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. And I can prove this to you really easy. Talk to any atheist you've ever met and read this to them. And he'll say, that is just nonsense. And you'll read it and be like, how is he missing this? This makes so much sense. Historically, it makes so much sense. As you read this, I mean, doesn't he see that he needs Jesus? Doesn't she see that she needs Jesus? No, it's the Holy Spirit. As we open God's word, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he softens our heart to this truth. And this truth takes root in our lives, and it changes us. And the more that it changes us, the more that it grows, the more we want it. The more we want to just dive into it. And we start talking to people, and we're like, what study Bible do you use? Oh, that's a good one. I think I'll get that one too. The next thing you know, you're some weird Bible collector that has like 70 different Bibles. (laughs) Confession time, I guess, right? No, you just love God's Word because it is life and life-changing, and life-giving. The Holy Spirit does that. We grow in our knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit revealing that truth to us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is that, that He's actually changing us. And that's truly what all of us need. We need to be changed and grow and and. There's so much that God has for us, and by the power of His Spirit, He is continually changing us. And it kind of starts out with that that conviction that I was talking about, right? He kind of shows us, hey, Matt, you're blowing it right here. And you're like, oh, man, I'm blowing it right there. I really need to change that. God, help me. Will you help me change this? And then I go and I talk to someone, hey, I'm really blowing it right here. Could you help me with this? And you talk to a, a brother in Christ, and they come beside you, and you start going the other way. And that's called sanctification. And all of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't sanctify ourselves. Can I get an amen on that one? Right? It is actually, so if you're not a Christian, you're here today, I just want you to know that us Christians who are growing and changing has nothing to do with us. (laughs) It is the power of God in our lives. And the only reason that that any good comes out of our lives, any good that we share or do in our lives, it's not us. It's God doing that in us and and growing us and changing us. We take no credit whatsoever, right? We take no credit whatsoever. It is God doing that work in us. That's the sanctification that only the Holy Spirit can do in us. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and intercedes for us. Now, this is crazy, right? Like, as we're, we're walking through things, and one of the names of the Holy Spirit is helper, like we just read. Another name for the Holy Spirit is comforter. That as we're struggling with things, and we're working through the mysteries of God and humanity, and the, the questions that we have, the struggles that we go through, the, the difficulty we see in our world, and this tension that we live with, and, and, and God, why are you, is this going on? 
is that the Holy Spirit brings comfort to us in those times. That as I'm grieving the loss of a loved one, as I'm grieving sickness in our lives, that the Holy Spirit supernaturally comes into that brokenness and mends us and helps us in that struggle, in that weakness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives peace that surpasses understanding. I've talked to so many people about this one. They're going through something so horrendous in their life, you know, and as pastors, we, by God's grace, we get to walk with people in some of the hardest times. And time and time again, when I go to a hospital or I'm at the funeral and I'm talking to this person that's just went through something horrific for years at times, they look at me with tears in their eyes and a smile on their face and say, I just feel so close to Jesus. And I'm like, what? As I'm expecting anger or I'm expecting frustration or I'm not expecting any words at all because of the the terrible thing they've just experienced, I get this, I, I can't explain it, Pastor. I just, I just have this peace. I just know that, that God's going to use this for his glory. And I'm just like, what? I mean, I've seen it over and over and over again. And let me just tell you, only God can do that. That is a grace, a mercy, a blessing of the power, the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a testimony of God's work in our lives. Now I think back of Jesus saying, it is to your advantage that I go. Now disciples, when they heard it, I'm sure they're in shock and wondering, but we today are looking back at that and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the powerful work of your Holy Spirit And we are saying, praise you, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you. We are his children. And his spirit lives in us. We are changed. We are marked. We are commissioned people called to live out a life surrendered to Christ. A life of humility and servanthood surrendered to him, serving him and our brothers and sisters in Christ. When he saves us, we are not just saved from sin. We are saved to righteousness, to sanctification, growth and mission, purpose and destiny, worship, service, surrender. And God, through his spirit, empowers us to all of these wonderful things. So I have one question for you this morning as we close. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you walking with him right now? Because there is truth for you, there is hope for you, and it is Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be active in your life. If you've not given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you into that right now. It is simply surrendering your life to him. It is recognizing our desperate need for a savior because we are sinners and sinners in need of saving. 
And we recognize that Jesus is that Savior, that he did what none of us could do. He lived a perfect life. And then he died a sinner's death on the cross for you and me. And it's by grace through faith in him that we can be saved. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, put it in his his careful and loving arms today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is Emmanuel, God with us. And because of that, we can walk out a life of change, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And I just pray for all of those out there right now who are putting their trust in you, Father. I pray that you would change their lives. Reveal yourself to them more and more as they surrender to you, Father. And I pray that we would be a church, Mission View would be a church that lives out Emmanuel, God with us. And we celebrate that this Christmas. We recognize you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.